This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Christchurch Conversations Towards 2030 is a series of five events exploring how Otautahi Christchurch can achieve its climate goals. Organized by Te Butahi Centre for Architecture and City Making, each event features a range of thought-provoking speakers, from local experts providing the latest information to local businesses and residents sharing their own experiences and actions. This is part two of the fifth and final event called Moving Around a 21st Century City, which explores the best ways of cutting carbon in your day-to-day travel with local people who are already doing it. This session is introduced by event organizer Michelle Hollis. I'd now like to welcome Stuart Gibbon to the stage. Stuart. Uh, Stuart is the General Manager for Public Transport and Environment Canterbury, so maybe he can tell us what's happening with the buses. Tinakoto Katoa, no Totahiaho. Uh, Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, Stuart Gibbon for Environment Canterbury. Going to have you a quick conversation about what's happening in public transport in Greater Christchurch. Get my clicker going. Um, so a lot of conversation today about the challenges facing uh, our city, our country and the world from climate change uh, and in Greater Christchurch in particular transport is the key contributor to our emissions as, as an urban centre. So w- why do we need to, to change? We've heard a lot about that already this afternoon. Well, we have uh, a growing urban environment. Uh, and that urban environment is getting bigger, more people, more journeys, more travel. Uh, and if we continue as we are, that means more emissions. So we need to be able to address those emissions in some manner. But we've also got to recognise that we have a built environment already. And as Councillor Mike Davidson mentioned this morning or this afternoon, that built environment is predominantly based around motor vehicles people driving cars. And so a lot of work is going on at the moment thinking about future state of our built environment, uh, looking at what's happening internationally uh, and thinking about how we change that built environment to be more conducive to alternative modes of of transport rather than the private motor vehicle. Of course in the built environment we have roads as I mentioned. And as more people move to Aotearoa and more people travel, those roads are going to run out of capacity. So we need to think about how we use that capacity more effectively and more efficiently, because the solution is not to build more roads. Although if you talk to some of our colleagues in Wakakotea, they might have a different point of view to that. Um, so as we can see on the slide, uh, if we want to transport 50 people in a road space, if you put those 50 people in 50 motor vehicles, it consumes quite a lot of that road space. 
if you put those 50 people on their feet or in a wheelchair uh, and use the road space, consumes quite a lot less of that road space, but still a reasonable amount of it. If you put 50 people on a bicycle, be it an electric bicycle or a manual bicycle, it consumes a certain amount of road space, but if you put 50 people in a bus, it's the smallest footprint use of that road space. So public transport has a role in making a more efficient use of the road space that we have. Um, you've seen the slide already. I'm not gonna dwell on it too much. Transport is a key contributor to our emissions, so we've gotta do something about that. And public transport is one of a number of solutions to address that issue. Uh, earlier this year, uh, Greater Christchurch embarked on a, a research program uh, to support some work that's going on around imagining or reimagining Greater Christchurch in 2050. And so the community research identified a whole bunch of things that people wanted to see in their city. And uh, one of the top things they wanted to see was a strong, usable, competitive uh, public transport system uh, and good cycling and walking infrastructure. So they had choice. They had mode choice, they had travel choice uh, to encourage people to change how they, they travel. So there's a lot of good reasons there to think about uh, investing in public transport and making public transport a more usable, a more convenient and a more competitive mode option for our citizens. So what would encourage more people to use public transport? I feel like I'm repeating a whole bunch of stuff that's been talked about already today. Uh, a number of speakers have already talked about some of these things. Piper talked about it earlier as well. Uh, the lady from Littleton mentioned it as well. So more buses, more frequency. Uh, one of the key reasons people drive their motor vehicles is because it's convenient. Uh, but climate change is inconvenient. Uh, and so we need to do something about that. So creating a more accessible and more frequent service means that public transport is more accessible to more people. Uh, and you don't have to worry about timetable pressure, just turn up at the bus stop and a bus will come along. Um, so that's one of the things that people are looking for. They're looking for a service that is reliable. Uh, one of the speakers today, a lady from the health sector, talked about bus rapid transit and having reliable bus services. Um, Councillor Davidson mentioned a significant amount of investment going on in public transport infrastructure over the next five to ten years for Aotearoa, and some of that investment is going into bus lanes to enable our bus service to be more reliable and more efficient. Um, you kind of want to have a good experience when you're consuming a product or service, uh, so we need to make sure that when you do engage with our service that you do have a good experience. The vehicles are clean, the vehicles are modern, the driver's friendly, it doesn't cost an arm and a leg to use, it's reliable, it's convenient, it takes you from where you are to where you need to go. Uh, and you get a little bit of physical exercise as well when you use the bus walking to and from it. Um, it needs to be affordable. Uh, there are significant cohorts in our community again, which was talked about today, which spend a significant percentage of their income on travel and transport. 
And so we need to make sure that public transport is affordable and accessible to those parts of our community. And finally, it needs to be flexible uh, and accessible. You may or may not be aware of a trial that we're doing in Timaru called My Way. It's an on-demand public transport service, uh, a bit like an Uber, but it's not an Uber. Uh, so uh, it's a rideshare service that you can order up on an app, pay for it on an app, comes close to your place of work or place of uh, living, picks you up on the side of the road and takes you anywhere in Timaru. Uh, so very flexible. Timaru communities are very enamoured with this service. We've been trialling it for just over a year now. Fully replaced the fixed route bus service in Timaru with this, this concept. Um, and so we're kind of hoping that uh, Waka Kotahi help us out and make that a permanent fixture in Timaru in, in years to come, and then we can bring it to Christchurch. Um, so how is public transport evolving at the moment? Um, we need to recognise the role that public transport plays with climate change and for our community. There's, a, there's two sides to this story. It does help the climate, but equally as importantly, it does help the community uh, and improve community outcomes from a wellbeing, from an accessibility, from a health perspective. And again, I'm kind of repeating what's already been said this afternoon. One of our speakers talked about investment and changing how transport is funded. And I'd like to talk a little bit about that at the moment because this is a very, very important point. At the moment, historically, public transport has been a lag investment of uh, the investment party, central and local government. So we deliver service after it's needed, after the built environment has been built, after the bus lanes have been created, after the congestion gets out of control, and after emissions become a problem for us. Um, I think Piper mentioned as well, if you want to change people's attitudes and behaviours, you've got to give them an option and a choice. And giving them that choice after they've already chosen to drive their car is kind of a bit late. So the funding philosophy needs to move away from being lag investment to a lead investment. And that will require a change in the funding model and funding approach and funding policies uh, from government and from local authorities. And so we need to reshape and reimagine this conversation we're going to have with our community. There are a whole bunch of good reasons to invest in public transport, to invest in cycle lanes, to invest in uh, low traffic neighbourhoods, etc. But all those investments do take funding to enable that to happen. And that requires our communities and our government to be willing to make that investment. Uh, so we've got to change that conversation. And finally, we've really do need to embrace technology uh, as a disrupting enabler of choice. Uh, there's a lady here today that, that was talked very passionately about, about using her e-scooter. Uh, fantastic, a disruptive technology for transport. Uh, it's also disrupted people engaging with public transport, uh, but it's had positive outcomes, so you can't argue against it. It's a good option for people to use. It's using the infrastructure the city's building which is a good thing, it's producing less emissions, and you have a cracking good time riding an e-scooter. So we've got to, got to enable and, and embrace those technologies to provide people choice. And then finally, the long game 
is to integrate our urban development and our urban form with transport planning together. Uh, as you'll know, a lot of our urban sprawl in Greater Christchurch hasn't really accounted for transport. Uh, a lot of new subdivisions haven't been designed with public transport in mind. They haven't been designed with walking in mind. Uh, and so the only option left to people is to drive their cars. And so when we think about future development in Greater Christchurch, uh, we need to think about joining that transport thought with the urban design thought as well to make it seamless. So what's going on at the moment? Um, electric buses or low emission buses are the, the conversation du jour. Uh, we had three electric buses on our network uh, two, two, three, two years ago. At the end of this year we'll have 28, so there's 25 new electric buses turning up at the end of this year. And then over the next two years, we're procuring another 28 electric buses. So just quietly getting on with it within the confines of the funding that's available to us. Oh, don't quite know what's happened there. There we go. Um, now it's a bit preaching to the converted, but an EV bus, as gentleman talked about EV cars, produces a lot less emissions out of the tailpipe. In fact, no emissions out of the tailpipe. So every person who rides an electric bus uh, is making a positive contribution to climate change and a positive contribution to their personal health and well-being. Um, there's a whole bunch of supporting things going on at the moment uh, in public transport in Christchurch as well. We've just finished implementing a new real-time information system across Christchurch to help improve the reliability of public transport. Um, our Greater Christchurch Partnership have committed to uh, a business case called Public Transport Futures, which will see significant investment over the next 10 years in new services, increased frequency, public transport priority lanes, intersection uh, priority for public transport to make it faster, make it more reliable, and make it more usable. Our Canterbury has recently approved funding to reduce the cost of travel for under 19s. Uh, so that comes in in February, so it'll help our uh, high school students, year 13 high school students and our first year tertiary students, paying a child fare instead of an adult fare. And then later on next year in July, a tertiary concession will, will come about for all tertiary students paying the child fare. So that's a good, good start. And then finally, Environment Canterbury is part of a national consortium that will be implementing a new uh, national ticketing system for public transport across New Zealand, based on, as Piper mentioned, your mobile phone or your debit or credit card that's already in your wallet. So you won't have to struggle to buy a Metro card anymore. You have a card already in your wallet that you can use in public transport, or your phone that you can use in public transport. If you don't want to use your credit or debit card, you can go to the supermarket or the petrol station and just buy a hanger card and top it up at the supermarket or the petrol station or in a range of other retail outfits to make it easier and less uh, of a barrier to consume our product. And that's a national initiative. Um, and finally, I mentioned the, the Timaru on-demand service. Uh, we're really excited about this, this product because we think uh, in the Christchurch context, it will help us fill in all the holes between the core bus routes. It's just not feasible to run big buses down every street in Aotearoa. So uh, concepts like this will help us fill the gaps 
and create more community services and community transport. Uh, just need some help from central government to make that happen. Uh, look, the last thing that's going on at the moment is a bit of thinking into mass rapid transit for Greater Christchurch. Uh, a few comments earlier on about uh, we need light rail or we need heavy rail and the lady talking about health uh, used the example of bus rapid transit. So the Greater Christchurch Partnership is investigating this as well as part of the spatial plan work that's going on, thinking about the urban design and form for Christchurch in the future and connecting that with the thinking about transport for that urban design. As you can imagine, and you may have seen in the media around uh, Auckland, uh, light rail is not cheap. Someone else mentioned that before. It's a relatively expensive intervention and it doesn't service the whole community, so we need to think about that. Is it right for our city? Uh, is it the right intervention? Could we do more with the money that will cost to do this? So all of that thinking is going on at the moment uh, for the future of Christchurch. It's not something you turn on in five minutes. Uh, it might be a progressive step change. We might increase frequency, create bus rapid transit, and then overlay uh, light rail or some other solution for, for greater Christchurch. But the key thing is those thought processes are underway at the moment. Look, that's all I'm going to say. I think I've run out of time, but uh, yeah, pretty much repeating what everyone else has already said, and you can see that uh, we've started that journey as it is. Thank you. Thank you very much, Stuart. I'd like to invite Simon Kingham to come up. Simon's a professor at the University of Canterbury and also works for the Ministry of Transport, so he can put on two hats and talk about transformative shifts now. Thank you. So just to clarify, say anything that's not government policy, that's my university hat on, just in case, so don't quote me as a government policy. Um, I'm just going to give you some basic figures. I guess most of you all know these, and they've been stated already a bit, but we've got a... Um, that transport is responsible for 20% of our greenhouse gas emissions, 43% of CO2, um, and that we are recommended that we've got to reduce those by 13% by 2030, 41% by 2035, and that may even have changed over the last week because I didn't quite keep track of all the things that were coming out of Glasgow. But the point of this is that this creates great opportunity for us to do um, some of the things we need to do, and we can actually change transport for the better in multiple ways, which some others have talked about. Just to stress the magnitude of the challenge, um, you can see on the figure here, this is business as usual, the green line. This is where we've got to get to. If we don't do anything, we're going to go down this green line. And the reason it's going down is because we will be electrifying the fleet to some extent. We've got to get to here, and then by 2050, somewhere down here. So we've got a lot to do. We can't carry on the way we're going. How are we going to do it? The government recently produced its draft. Well, this is the, the Ministry of Transport produced the plan. Um, so this is the, the, the Ministry of the Environment and the Ministry of Transport and various government departments produced their draft emissions plan. And it said we have to, one, reduce our reliance on cars and support people to walk, cycle and use public transport, which is what we've talked about a lot today, and then rapidly adopt low emission vehicles and fuels and begin work now to decarbonise um, heavy transport and freight. So number two, Dave, you'll be pleased. Where's Dave gone? Number two, so lots of electric vehicles. But of course the big challenge is this bit. We've got to reduce our reliance on cars and support people to walk, cycle and use PT. And the government has actually put some targets in here. And these are the targets. I'm not going to dwell on these because these are kind of the technology targets. I'm really going to just tell you about the first one. The first one 
is we've got to reduce vehicle kilometres travelled by cars and light vehicles by 20% by 2035 through promoting better travel options, particularly in our larger cities. So basically, we have to reduce the amount we travel. We can't rely on technology to do it. Um, we've actually got to reduce the vehicle kilometres travelled by 20%. Now, that is a really big number, and I don't quite know if people realise how big a number that is. But the amount we travel has got to change dramatically. And this is the reason, is because if we look at what we've got to do to reduce our greenhouse gas emissions to meet our commitments, we can improve, which is what Dave talked about. That's a shifting the fuel, so mainly electric vehicles, and people talk about hydrogen and other things, but it's mainly electric vehicles. But the other part is we avoid travelling, and we shift the way we travel. So in other words, we walk and cycle and use public transport more. And Mr Transport's estimate is that improving the vehicle fleet will only produce 61% of the necessary reduction in emissions, and this has got to result in the 39% of that reduction, hence the 20% reduction in VKTs. Now, that is really, 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 really challenging, and I don't think people quite realise how challenging it is, and that's why we're having this conversation today and why we've had these excellent examples of people talking about the changes they're making to try and demonstrate that they're, not, that they're, they're possible, because that's a real challenging thing we've got to do in a relatively short period of time. So we've got to shift some of the things we do. So what have, we, ooh, what have we got to shift? We've got to shift a whole bunch of things. The first thing, oh, back one, we've got to do is shift modes. Dave's talked about this, or uh, sorry, Stuart's already talked about this. So we've got to start thinking about public transport that looks different to public transport today. We will keep the number 28 bus, I assume. I can't promise it, but I'm assuming the 28 bus will stay. But we're going to start seeing more of these my way type vehicles. We may start talking more seriously about things like trackless trams, which potentially offer the benefits of a fixed rail system but at a fraction of the cost, because light rail is expensive and we may need to be looking at cheaper solutions. And so we're going to see new things coming along. So we may have to shift um, the, the modes. We also need to shift attitudes. This famous quote, or allegedly attributed to Mrs Thatcher, who said a man... Um, I would say she would have said woman, but actually she was a woman, but she would not have said a woman, sadly. She would have said, she said, a man who beyond the age of 26 finds himself on a bus can count himself a failure. Isn't that a terrible quote? But that was kind of the attitude of the 1980s, and, we, and sadly that attitude does exist a bit today. Sorry about the number 28, but there are some people who think that. I know. And we need to change it to this more enlightened man, the uh, mayor of Bogota, I think. A developed country isn't a place where the, people, where the poor have cars, it's where the rich use public transportation. And this goes back almost to what Piper said right at the beginning. We need to be creating it so people choose to use the bus that the bus makes sense, or public transport makes sense as the, as the choice. And the reality is for many people at the moment it's not, but we certainly need to shift the attitude away from what Mrs Thatcher allegedly said to what Gustavo Petro said. We also need to shift modes. We do need to have more people using bicycles. Um, and not just normal bicycles, but we need to... St we're, and we are going to start seeing more of these. We're going to see more cargo bikes, more electric bikes. And wouldn't it be lovely if that was a regular challenge? Maybe not quite that much. But where we actually get to the point where there are lots of people... And this actually raises another, of course, another challenge. And Mike earlier talked about filling in the gaps. And one of our gaps in the cycle network is you can't get through the tunnel. That's the sort of example of the type of gaps we need to be working out solutions to. We can't have these sorts of situations, really. And so I think shifting modes is part of what we're going to see. We also need to shift attitudes in terms of um, cycle use. So this quote was, dare I say, a city councillor from a few years ago, who might still be a city councillor, who said, people are lazy and cycling is not cool. That's not the attitude we want. We need to change. 
to. And this quote was the same as the um, American, I can't remember her name, whoever quoted that amazing American woman, who said something very similar, didn't she? Yes, and I have quoted her before, but very similar. H.G. Wells said something similar. Every time I see an adult on a bicycle, I no longer despair for the future of the human race. So we need to shift attitudes so that cycling is seen as something valuable and useful and it is not seen as, as a form of transport of weirdos and people with no money or whatever else people think of it is, but we need to change those attitudes too. We need to shift land use. And this is from a Ministry of Transport document, so this is actually government policy, that we're shifting away from having lots of roads for fast movement and less place over to slow movement and more place. And so we're going to start seeing things like this. This is an image from Barcelona before an implementation of a policy to reduce, um, I guess, to reduce the priority to the, of the car to this. So we're going to start seeing, and we need to see some things like this. And there are some attitudinal changes as well as land use changes we need to see to make that happen. But suffice to say, the government is very committed, and this is from government documents, and central government is committed to empowering this and enabling this, and the good news for the two city councillors here is they are committed to funding it as well. So we just need to be ready for that. Again, we need to shift land use from vast car parks like we have in Christchurch at the moment to lovely cycleways like this that not only... They should almost not be called cycleways because they're good for mobility scooters and they're good for regular scooters. These are active transport corridors or non-car corridors or whatever we're going to start calling them. We need to start creating places for Courtney to park her scooter because scooter parking randomly does irritate people. This is from Auckland, so it isn't an overseas example. We can do this. We just need to be a little bit creative to get away from some of the disadvantages of some of the other modes that we're now talking to and wanting to increase the use of. And again, we need to shift attitudes. Oh, no, sorry, and then here's another example of a street. This is the sort of street we should be trying to get. Again, this is another example from London, and we saw an example from London earlier. We need to start changing the way we view and use street space. So it's not places for cars, it's places for all sorts of modes. We need to shift attitudes to evidence. So when a cycleway, ironically called the Copenhagen bike, where, the, where a, a bakery called the Copenhagen Bakery is complaining that cycleways will annihilate business, the fact is that's actually just wrong. <laughs> the evidence is really clear that cycleways do not annihilate businesses and overall they're really good for business. So we need to change the conversation and we need to change the attitudes and we need to change the evidence base so that people know Cycleways generally are really good for business, particularly things like bakeries. Similarly, and many of you will have seen with the Innovating Streets project, um, there was some concern about it and there was some uh, disappointment amongst some people about some of the things that were happening in Auckland. Uh, the media got hold of this. Some of the Innovating Streets projects were vandalised in, in other places. That's what I need to do. Um, road adornments were described childish and dangerous. And this is things like putting paint on road and temporary in, uh, infrastructure on roads. And the, the reality is it's not childish and it's not dangerous. It's fun, which is a better word for childish, I think. And it isn't dangerous because it slows traffic down, but people perceive something as slowing traffic down as dangerous. Recently in my own community, some planters were put out and people said, they're really dangerous, they're going to slow me down. And it's like, I think you're missing the point here. That's kind of the idea. The good news in terms of evidence is that there's a lot of really good evidence that this stuff is not only good for transport and emissions, but it's good for lots of other things as well. So we now know that reimagining city design is crucial to tackling climate change. So um, research has come out from all parts of the world, particularly the UK, some of it's coming out saying, actually, if we change our cities, that's really good for climate change. And cycling, which I think actually is one of the things that Christchurch should be really focusing on, because if you look at our geography and you look at the types of journeys we're making and you look at the distances we're trying to travel, 
cycling is actually a really good option. It's not good for everybody, but it can be really good for a lot of people. And we now know that some researchers suggest in this came out of Oxford University, it's 10 times better for reducing climate emissions. Finally, I just want to end, and it's been touched upon, that the, this is one of my favourite books. I read it a few years ago, and it basically says... When you look at cities, if you do good things to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, you get really good outcomes. You get healthy people, you get happy people, you get resilient communities, you get strong communities. And so, in other words, if we do this stuff for climate change, we actually get all these other benefits. And if suddenly, in 50 years, someone says, climate change, you got it all wrong, there's that quote that says, we will have actually created really good communities for nothing. That's not a bad idea anyway. So that's um, I'm going to end. So thank you very much. Thank you, Simon. Just want to acknowledge we are going to go a few minutes over. We're going to shift gear here and um, have a poet speak. And then we're going to wrap up with a couple of, in quotation marks, ordinary people. Um, so we, we're, we're wrapping up. Uh, Eric. Eric Kennedy is the author of There's No Place Like the Internet in Springtime which was shortlisted for Best Books of Poems at the 2019 Ockham New Zealand Book Awards. He's currently co-editing a book of climate change poetry from Aotearoa in the Pacific. When's it coming out, Eric? Early That's New May. Year? Next May. May 2022. His heart would be gladdened if he never had to wait more than 15 minutes for a bus. Uh, kia ora koutou, ko Eric Kennedy aho. So, for some reason, there's this trope about poets that says that they can't drive. I think it's a joke about how poets are flaky and unreliable. Um, so, my friend, the poet Jordan Hamill, who can drive, actually has as his Twitter bio, only poet in NZ with a driver's license. But this doesn't mean however, that all poets are car-spurning eco-angels, um, or that they don't understand transportation politics, or that poetry in New Zealand doesn't engage with how we all move around. Um, so I have co-edited a book of climate change poetry called No Other Place to Stand. Um, it's from 91 writers from Aotearoa and the Pacific. Um, and in it, we've got poets coming at climate change from lots of different angles, obviously. Um, no one likes toxic waterways. Dairying takes an absolute pasting. Um, there are poems about concrete, uh, bushfires, flood tides in Tuvalu, apocalyptic hot girl summers. You name it. But I've gone back, looked through the manuscript, tried to make sure that I wasn't misremembering. And there aren't that many poems about transport, transport solutions, um, transport guilt, any of that. Um, not as much as this country's um, transport-heavy emissions profile merits. Um, I should say that there are a couple of wicked poems. There's one about Tesla, Teslas and tech bros. Um, and there's one about what a lovely tr uh, public transport system we could have built on Venus uh, if only its atmosphere wasn't buggered. Um, and that one goes out to all the people who think instead of solving climate change on Earth, the simplest solution is just terraform Mars. Not, not the most practical solution. Um, so I've got a challenge for the poets of Aotearoa. 
Um, we all don't necessarily need to get driving licenses, but we do need to be aware of what's going on on the roads of the Motu, um, and we should write about it. Uh, we should write through those feelings and experiences. Be a social conscience. More mass transit poems, please. So as for me, I try, both through my actions, um, I'm a writer of the 28 Boss as well, um, and I try poetically, um, but I do feel guilt sometimes. Um, you know, am I doing enough? And a poem is a great place to express guilt. Um, so here's a poem about that guilt. Um, it's called Post-Pandemic Adaptation. You'll remember for about five minutes in 2020, everyone was like, we're never going to go back to the way things were. We've seen the light. Have we? Uh, so this is called Post-Pandemic Adaptation. I got so distracted by the excitement of not going back to the way things were that I accidentally went back to the way things were. I meant to continue working remotely, but instead I book a commercial flight whenever I go to the office or the supermarket. I thought I was letting nature heal, but I find myself chasing bees away from flowers wearing a hornet onesie. I'm only human, extravagantly, embarrassingly human, using my breadfruit weight brain and opposable thumbs to keep things the same or change them, whichever one benefits me personally. Well-meaning people say, don't beat yourself up. But for my villainy, I should thrash myself to within an inch of my spirit leaking from my nose like a vaporous neon mannequin as I lie on the grass, inert from my self-battering. The soft sounds of my breathing rising and falling in time with the sounds of back-to-normal traffic. Thank you. I so love an open brief. We had no idea what Eric was going to do. I now, we're, we're going to try something different we've never done before, and we'd like to invite our people's panel to the stage. We've invited two members of the audience to share their reflections on the event um, for our wrap-up. So, Peter, Peter Moore, and Maggie, Maggie Tairakana, if you could come up, please. Uh, so, I'm just going to ask questions. And I guess the first thing I'm interested in is, based on what you've heard today, Peter, you might want to come this way so you're not staring into the light. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Is there, is there anything you think you might do differently based on, on what you've heard um, I think I was struck by the fact that I work in a field um, of sexual violence and we spend a lot of time talking about cultural change with that issue. And um, it's really easy to be overwhelmed with the size of the problem. So it's great to be in a room and realise, of course, these are solvable problems. When I see that 60% of health outcomes are in the tangible range, it makes me feel much more 
optimistic. So I've been talking about and not doing um, getting an electric bike because I've got to do some research. So I feel motivated to get off my chuff and do that piece of research and get on my bike again. What about you, Peter? So the question was... Is there anything you think you might do differently based on what you've heard today? Right. So I've, I've, uh, I think what I'd like to do differently is uh, get over my personal stiction, um, the, the friction of sitting still, uh, and my bicycle, which has been sitting in the garage, which I used to use a lot two years ago, without a front wheel on it. I've got several spare wheels in the garage. I could actually just put one of them on this afternoon. I want to make that commitment to myself. Pump it up and just, I'm not going to ride into town, um, but just ride to the corner and back. And I think if I took those steps, putting on a, a new wheel or a new secondhand wheel, uh, getting the bike ready to go and actually just cycling to the corner and back, that would remove a mental barrier I've had that's kept me from cycling into town for yonks a year or more. I'm looking at Jess. Can I ask one more? Yeah. Okay. So you've heard a range of people. What are you hoping to see the authorities, maybe council, ECAN, any of, any of those official groups do? I want them to do all of the things that we've heard about um, because it's a, a smattering of a lot of little things um, and I don't like the duck shoving that goes on and suggests that someone else should solve their problem. This is all of us. So I was excited to hear quite a lot of the stuff today and I want that path to be carried on with it. And our young people are, are our motivation. They're, they're our hope holders, so good to have them guiding us. I, I, so many things. I, I liked the uh, the project that's happening in Timaru. I was already thinking before it was announced, it was mentioned that that was happening, I was, that that was something that keeps me from using public transport more, the, the inconvenience, particularly at different times of day. Um, like staying at work late at night, for example. But a bigger thing is, is maybe a, a bit lateral, um, which is I would like to see some current regulations enforced, and I'm thinking in particular around, uh, oddly enough, clean air rules, um, use of log burners and uh, people who use wet wood or treated wood or painted wood because uh, in the past, many years ago, I used to cycle a lot and uh, when I first came to Christchurch in 1993, um, cycling to South Brighton, um, I would be covered with the smell of coal uh, smoke and wood smoke and um, it's gotten a lot better but I still worry for my health cycling at night in Christchurch in wintertime. Thank you both. And I hope that's um, helped the rest of us just sort of start thinking about what we might do. Thank you all for staying with us um, over this uh, quarter of an hour overrun. I'm going to be really quick. Um, and just say thank you so much. Thank you to everyone for coming. Thank you to the live stream for joining us. A special thanks to all our amazing speakers who were so varied and so stimulating and, yeah, indeed gave me a lot more hope for the future of the city and the change that we are going to experience over the next eight years. It's only eight years until 2030. Let's not count the rest of November and December. 
It's only eight years, so we can we can. I, I'm starting to feel more hopeful that we can do this. Thank you to all our um, supporters and our sponsors. And we invite you all to think about this change that needs to happen over this time. We can only do so much on our own, and we do need to do it together, and we do need the leadership of our local, regional and central government. Uh, a big thanks to the Teputahi team for the last five events, to Emma, Erica, Michelle and Rick, who's just joined us this weekend, and to our um, uh, other team behind the scenes. Thanks to all our volunteers, our collaborators and supporters. A special thanks to Network Waitangi Ototahi and to Sustainable Ototahi Christchurch, to Tony Moore from the Christchurch City Council and Chelsea Halliwell from It's Time Canterbury, Rita Dionisio and Amanda Yates from the Huritanga Thread of the National Science Challenge Building Better Homes, Towns and Cities. Thank you all for, your, uh, for coming to the events, for watching online, for your engagement and responsiveness. We'd love to know what you think. If you've come to to any of these five events or to the expo um, this morning in the plaza, please come and tell us what you think because we'd love to do more of these into 2022. Thank you, everyone. Let's go and do it. This has been part two of Moving Around a 21st Century City, the last event in the Christchurch Conversations Towards 2030 special series on how to achieve the city's 2030 climate targets. Many thanks to Te Putahi Center for Architecture and City Making for kindly sharing this and all of the recordings from the entire five-part series. Podcasts of the whole series are available on the Plains FM website. Search Christchurch Conversations. Christchurch Conversations.